Welcome to Dev Jams. This is where we talk with developers who are creating some pretty awesome projects. Maybe they're inspiring, maybe they're innovative, maybe they're all of the above, but they also are typically using Cloudinary in ways that we consider to be pretty awesome to show off. So we want to talk to those developers and really start to break down their code, be able to break down their concepts and share them with you. So that way you can hopefully start to take away some of those aspects for your own projects, such as those next websites, those next mobile applications, or something else that I can't even imagine that you have dreamt up and have started to build. My name is Sam Brace. I am a director of customer education here at Cloudinary. And joining me for this episode, as well as almost all episodes, is Becky Pelts. She is our curriculum program manager of developer education at Cloudinary. So, Becky, nice to have you here again. Yes, thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. This is a really neat episode. I was very interested when I saw that somebody was accessing Cloudinary with GraphQL and Gatsby. Typically, we're just seeing RESTful API access with Cloudinary. So this is a neat twist. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. Yeah, and I agree with everything you're saying. This is the first time we're really showing a project that uses Gatsby in a project. This is the first time we're really diving into GraphQL in a deep, deep way. So if those are subjects that are interesting to you and you've always tried to figure out how to build that next thing with those and also figure out how you can weave in Cloudinary for the media management or media delivery aspects of those, because they might be very image rich or video rich, then this would definitely be an episode that is worth your time. I think the imaginary project <laughs> that he was able to build. And, and you'll understand what that means here as you start to watch the episode. I think it's very cool. And as we also allude to in the episode, it has a lot of interesting applications that could come in for people that are trying to display lots of images at once, maybe of a class of a, frankly, an organization. There's lots of applications for what Tapas has built here. Yeah. When I was looking into this too, I looked at his website and got to know him a little, and I'm very really impressed with him as a developer educator. He puts in a lot of effort and it looks really good. So lots to share there. Absolutely. So let's get to it. Let's go talk to Tapas and then stick around at the end of the episode where we have finished talking Tapas because Becky and I will come back to summarize everything with some key takeaways that we have for you that hopefully will help you with your next projects. So stick around and Enjoy the episode. Tapas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So for those of you that don't know all of the amazing work that you're doing, your background, of course, give us a little bit of detail about yourself. Tell us about Tapas. All right. So, hey, this is Tapas. I'm from India, a place called Bangalore. Some of you might be knowing already. So this is called Silicon Valley of India. There's a lot of software companies and all are here. And I work in a company called Microfocus as a senior manager UI UX. I have experience around 17 years in doing software programming, writing code, building applications, and a lot of passion about teaching. Probably I would have been a teacher, if not software engineer. You know? So I like teaching. You know, that's the reason I keep writing. I have a blog where I keep publishing articles, the technical articles, everything that I have learned you know, over the years, I have close to. 250 plus articles written, published on my blog, on free code camps, CSS tricks, and various other platforms. I also share knowledge using YouTube. <laughs> That's very recently I've started and enjoying that. 
apart from that, I'm an open source enthusiast. So maintain a lot of open source projects, contribute to all the products that I like using. And like to mentor a lot of folks who want to embark the journey in terms of becoming a software engineer, just coming out of college. So yeah, that's what kind of I keep doing. And personal life, I have a wife. I have a nine years old daughter. That's what basically I am. <laughs> so what got you going? So you're doing all of these amazing things. You're publishing all over the place. You're obviously a software engineer as well, where you're creating your own work. What got you started on the journey? Because one thing that we've noticed with our audience for Dev Jams is that we're talking many people that are starting that journey or maybe wanting to start that journey. So yeah. how did it all take place for you? Yeah, so see, I'm probably a regular software engineer if I just take out all blogging, YouTube, and all other stuff, open source things that I'm doing right now. And it didn't happen from the start of my software development journey. I started all this probably three to four years back, just three to four years back. And when I look back and I see like, you know, oh man, I could have started it 10 years back. But only thing that I couldn't do because probably I didn't have a mentor. He would have told me, hey, Tapas, this is something else that you can do. And this, this is going to help you. And in, in turn, it's going to help many others. When I picked it up, then I started understanding like this is not only about me. It's about the developer community, right? It's about everybody who is going to learn from my journey. So what exactly happened? Basically, there are a lot of customer issues I used to fix, used to work with a lot of my peers. And I used to document each of the steps that kind of helped me to fix those issues. And later point of time, if somebody has, hey, there's a similar kind of issue happened, could you please help us? I used to give that document. And they told, oh, it is kind of well-written. It helped us. Then it kicked me like, you know, if I just make it public, it goes beyond my office. Probably there are more people who will come to know about this. So I started putting that in Stack Overflow and things like that. So there are more response started coming in. Then I thought, why not my old blog? So that's how I started putting into blog going to pre-code camp, there's like more and more readers you get, more and more people you get, right, who get to know like who you are, how you solve problems and things like that. There are so many people having similar problems. It's just the solution that we have to take out and solve a lot of people's problems. So that's all. That's how it started actually. In 2019. I just want to say, don't you feel that as you are teaching people so many things that you're also learning? Like yes. you find out about new problems and then you yes. share the kind of solidifies it for you. Definitely. I think teaching is probably one of the best way of learning. And once you teach somebody, it is face-to-face -face or through kind of asynchronous way, like writing blogs or things like that, you still get a lot of feedback from people. They might be doing certain things in a different way. And once they express that, then you think, oh, yeah, there is a different way of thinking about it, doing about it. And you pick that point and you kind of learn from there. So I guess definitely, I definitely agree with you. Yeah. I think it's a great relationship, the teacher-student, and it bounces back and forth between the two people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just want to say one of the things that caught my attention, we have a feed that shows us people that are using Cloudinary and are getting mm -hmm. published either in various places around the internet. What's the name of your project that you're going to share? Imaginary. Because we do see a lot of plays on the Cloudinary name. And a lot of times it's more like the cloud site, cloudy cam. We have an evangelist who create cloudy cam, but yours is called imaginary. So we're going to be seeing this. And this is a Gatsby app that you've created and probably have made a decision at some point. Why would I choose Gatsby? Okay. So I'm just trying to share my screen. Um, sure. Um, so the name imaginary came from the fact that I was using cloudinary and I was dealing with image. 
So it's like image plus cloudinary, <laughs> you know, that was one of the reasons for doing it imaginary. And then all the images that you're seeing here are of actors or the actresses and all over the world. And they live in a world of imaginary. So I thought, okay, both the things kind of coincide well, and let's name it as imaginary. So what exactly this application is, is I have a Cloudinary account and I have a bunch of images over there. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to build an app where things are kind of gets loaded very fast and I can actually call all the images that are there in the Cloudinary through some API mechanism maybe, and then get into a user interface using any of the technology and kind of show them in a beautiful presentation mode so that it looks great, right? So that was the actual intent of it. And uh, when I was actually looking for something like, you know, where I should upload these photos and I'll be fetching them and showing them, I was looking for any application or any probably SaaS provider, which provides me the mechanism to put my media and then allow me to get into an application. That's when I come to know about Cloudinary. And if you see like this application is not probably very recent. It's like I have created probably a year or so back, right? And I was not very much aware of what Cloudinary and what it does basically. So this idea made me do a Google search and then Cloudinary came up and I read about that. And then that night I kind of did the generous free account. Thank you for that. And then I uploaded all these photos, did some of the property changes, like putting the captions, some of the property related edits, and then tried to pull this information into a Gatsby application. The whole reason of doing it is like just learning. Yeah. Well, one thing, so like when I saw this application, I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. We've got this animated gallery of actors. But then when I looked a little closer, so here I'm pulling up the inspector and I looked at the URLs and yep, sure enough, they're from Cloudinary. So you're uploading there, but you have the QAuto F-Auto in there and yeah. there are all of them. And so then I was curious to see how did you do that? These are our big optimization transformations for compression and getting the right format. So I was curious to look at that. So they say, take a look at the code. Sure, sure, sure. Let's do that. And Gatsby, though, a little bit about Gatsby. How did you choose Gatsby? Because when I look at the Jamstack, there's Svelte Kit, very popular. Developers love it. Next.js used mm. by people everywhere. Gatsby, also really popular. How did you make the decision to go to Gatsby? Okay, so Jamstack is one of my favorite subject. It's always been that architecture really fascinates me that, you know, you do something like which is pre-built, it loads on your client site very fast. And that's when I started learning Jamstack and both the names that you have taken, Gatsby and Next.js are probably the front runner in that. I started this one with Gatsby. Reason being is there is a Cloudinary source plugin for Gatsby that was available. And I wanted to explore that how it works. Gatsby has a huge plugin system. It's like a plethora of plugins are there that you can use. And you just do some certain configuration and boom, it's, it will start working, right? That's the expectation. So I went ahead with that and this is how it worked. Maybe in future, I'll be creating another project with Next.js and Cloudinary, There's something different. But that's how it actually started. Like I wanted to explore how this plugin works. I wanted to explore like it with minimal configuration if it's going to work out. And that's the main reason of going through Gatsby. Another reason was... Um, any source plugin that we use with Gatsby, you can actually use GraphQL very freely, 
right? It also provides a GraphQL editor, a query editor through which you can actually pick up all the queries that you need to query your source system. In this case, it is Cloudinary and fetch all the required details, the response, and then start showing it in the UI. And to answer to your earlier questions like if auto, Q auto, the, like the quality and the formatting stuff is all taken care of by this Gatsby source Cloudinary. I really didn't write any extra code to do this. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about that. You did have to do something, because so Gatsby source Cloudinary, that's in our Cloudinary devs repository, acts as a medium between our REST API and GraphQL. Yes. To understand a little bit about what's happening there, you can look at this source Cloudinary, but in terms of looking at what you have to do as a user to use it, you're going to come into your imaginary project and add a Gatsby config. So what's going on in here? This is how you're hooking up your application to a a layer of GraphQL. What do you do here? So this configuration is important and it is mandatory. So there are a few things that once you create a Cloudinary account, it can actually generate an API secret and API key. So these are the things per user, basically per account. And with that, you will be able to access anything and everything from that particular Cloudinary account. So I have a Cloudinary account and from there, I generated this API key and API secret. And the cloud name, is basically my login name. So this like a that was my login name. So I have these three credentials which are kept in the environment file, and then I'm loading those things from the environment file and populating each of this property like cloud name, API key, and API secret. And then I'm telling that I am dealing with a resource type which is of image, and I am looking into a folder which is there in the cloud and call artist. So in, instead of artist, it would have gone for flowers or photos. It would have picked up the things from there. So it is artist. And then I have these tags, this additional information that I wanted to get, and then the max results, max 50 results that I wanted to get, right? So these are the configurations that we have to define. And as it is a source plugin, like how it's worked with the Gatsby plugin ecosystem, for any source plugin, it has an ability to query using GraphQL. And you can also have other source files, like you can query using JSON and things like that. But this is GraphQL is like more optimal. Maybe we'll get into the details in a bit. But this is why once you put this configuration, restart your Gatsby server, you get to see all the details basically in the GraphQL editor from where you can actually pick and choose, form your query, start using in your React or the Gatsby code basically to kind of fetch the details. So yes, you're supplying a full set of credentials here. And I think that's because the Gatsby source Cloudinary is going to be calling our admin API to yes. get your images. And so once you get those, though, Gatsby does not want to receive data as a, in a RESTful way. It mm. wants that layer of GraphQL. So, and that's taken care of by Gatsby source Cloudinary. So if we look at your code here, then, this is where you're building your gallery component. What's going on in here? This seems to be where we're using the GraphQL. Yeah, so a few things. Once you use uh, any of the source uh, plugin for Gatsby, very generic format that the infrastructure uses is like, you can get all, as you see, like line number 13, and then the actual object that I am dealing with in the line number 13, right? So for Cloudinary, the source plugin is giving me Cloudinary media. So the GraphQL object that I'll be getting is all Cloudinary media. Had I dealt with something else, not Cloudinary, 
it would, it would have been all something, right? So this is how the entire structure works for the Gatsby GraphQL paradigm. So what is happening basically here, I have written a query. The query says Cloudinary image, and that's a query name. And then the all Cloudinary media. In that, what I am actually looking to extract is the source URL. And inside context, I want to extract the caption and the movies. These are the extra information that I have provided for every image in the cloud net. Right. So, yeah, with these nodes and edges, some people might not be familiar with what are nodes and edges. Yeah. Because we're used to querying maybe with SQL and, yeah. and joins and things like that to get our data. So get relationships that way. When in a graph system, when we talk about nodes and edges, I think it's helpful to think about nodes are the thing, like let's say the image, and edges are the kind of the page of the thing. Exactly. And then, and then what you're able to do here, you have your own custom query. So rather than grabbing all of the data that comes about an image from the admin API, which is what you would normally get in a RESTful call, you're just going to say, hey, I want all caption movies. Yeah, I think that's a bigger advantage of using GraphQL over REST. It's like here you can actually limit like what exactly you are querying for. And that is pretty easy, right? It just, you have to mention either I want this or I don't want this. And this is what I'm going to fetch. And that's just a bigger advantage over REST. Yes, yeah. So we're not pulling in a lot of data that we know that we're not going to be using. Yeah, absolutely. It's really nice to have all that information available, but then able to select just what you want to bring into your, right. your web page. So that's very helpful. So then you get this data, which you're, you're grabbing the URL and some context data, the resource type. Then what do you do with that down here to create the actual gallery? Because there is a challenge in creating a nice gallery. You want it to be responsive. Yeah. And I know you've written an article about that too. So if anyone's interested in that. So yeah, what's going on here in developing your gallery? Yeah, the line number 30 is where I'm extracting all the images. That's going to be an array of images because there are multiple images. And then what I'm doing is basically at the line number 63, I am iterating through these images, getting each of the image out and making each of those boxes, basically. So each of the boxes are nothing but an anchor tag. And inside anchor tag, there is an image tag. Nothing beyond that. It's like as simple as that. And I made it clickable so that if you click on it, I'm taking that caption value and searching on Google. Oh, yeah. Because you pulled context, you get title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Both your alt tag and your caption. That's great. Yeah. So uh, that's what basically happens. Now, if we go to gallery.css, that is where a lot of uh, styles are written, basically. Yeah, let's go take a look at that. So this is where a lot of code is written, a lot of style is written. So I'm leaving out just header and footer. Header is giving that particular header stuff where right? that imaginary level is there. Footer. But apart from that, if you go to the wave, I think this is the main thing that is actually making it sliding, right? That animation. So bottom of the file, you should have something called a keyframe, which defines animation at the bottom of the file. Right? So the keyframe is like what I'm saying is that you transform from zero to three degree this side. And then again, zero to minus three degrees. It's like this. Yeah. Minus three degrees. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you tweak that value going to your developers to like from three to 30 or 20 to just start moving like, you know, so fast. And no, I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of effect. And then there are 
many small, small things are there. So if you look into like wave, uh, that pseudo before, like line number 105, there is a background image through which I am bringing that hook. So on the hook, that photo is hanging, right? In the imaginary. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that is where I'm getting that hook. Uh, and this is giving that representation. And dot wave after is giving that thread, basically. Okay. So that is the hook, then the thread, and then dot wave is basically the image, which is having that keyframe animation to move this side and that side. So that's how everything is tied in. CSS animation is a pretty cool thing. Um, I'm still learning. And there yeah. are this, there's a lot of learning from basically CodePen. I have learned this wave thing from CodePen. Probably somebody was teaching on CodePen, like how to do this. This is really, really super thing to learn. It's really fun though, when you find some effect or something that you like, and then you can just build it into your own project. Yes, it's, that's true. Yeah. Top, I want to ask you a question about this because I'm seeing so many awesome things about this project, seeing the animated CSS you're talking about, the GraphQL use, the Gatsby as your static site generator. How did you make all of these choices for the overall stack for this project? Why did you make the choice between Gatsby or maybe another static site generator like Next.js? What, what, mm. what helped you to make those decisions? Yeah, so the reason for going for Gatsby is like that source plugin. Okay, the moment I went to the Cloudinary and I was actually reading about Cloudinary, I think, oh, there is a source plugin already available. So if it is available, it's something that I can make very, very quickly. I don't have to really think about much because I've used Gatsby extensively. I've used many other source plugins. So I was quite familiar with the GraphQL way of dealing things. So it was like, do something fast and write it free code camp. So that, that was the thing. So that made me kind of do it with Gatsby. But I, I know next year as well. Maybe I'll be doing something with next year as well. And then like with the GraphQL side of things, because obviously Gatsby and GraphQL are very intermingled. They're very yeah. tied together. But do you feel like that's something where if I'm a developer and I say, I don't know anything about GraphQL, why would that be a benefit for me to learn and try to maybe use a product that has GraphQL in your opinion? Yeah. yeah, in my opinion, see, uh, many of us are from the background of the SOAP or REST, and uh, we have used them extensively for years. One of the problems that in REST that we always face is like the liberty of selecting what I want and what I don't want, right? The segregation between this. So when you have a bunch of attribute, a bunch of data without writing any extra code, it is going to give you all. And it's a client's duty to do some kind of messaging, things like that, and then try to get into the set that you are looking for, right? That is one thing. Second thing is like in a query level, there is no way of doing certain kind of join. The join happened in the database level. If you have database tables, you do the join there and then the middle layer rest is going to fetch the thing. In GraphQL, there are a couple of advantages spot on. It's like, first of all, you decide what you need and your query actually talk about that. You don't mention anything else that you don't need. Second thing is like in the query level itself, you do a lot of joins. Like you have multiple tables and you want to extract data from them. At the query level itself, you can actually specify those associations very well. And that is going to get you the result after performing all those associations, right? So these are the two flexibility as a consumer perspective. I feel it's like great, great advantages with GraphQL. And other thing is like what driven me towards GraphQL is like, Today, if you take like SaaS, like software as a service, today even databases are software as a service. And each of these databases, software as a service, they always have a layer of GraphQL in front of them and project them very, very high. Way. Of course, of course, its qualities are such that, that they can. So it is a kind of natural 
tendency that, okay, I have to learn GraphQL, I have to go for GraphQL because there is a good community support. I can connect to this databases pretty well. So this entire ecosystem, I think, is moved to from the rest to GraphQL pretty right way. And it's kind of moving it's, in the right way as well. It's very efficient. I mean, it, it's very efficient. efficient. You're not bringing tons of data across. Yeah, data yeah. Touch. And then the other thing is like here, you're dealing with a plugin. So you've got some functions that are creating that GraphQL that would get edge and stuff. But in some cases, GraphQL may be implemented out on the server so that you actually are not even bringing any of the data you don't need to cross. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a good approach in that respect. So... It also makes me just really happy that there's a source plugin, frankly. <laughs> if I wasn't able to like find that source plugin, this project may have never happened. Be, and yeah. it, it, yeah, may, it never even happened either. So probably I think it yeah. makes everything easy, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. The, the source plugin was one of the reasons that I went with Gatsby Plus Cloud, Mary, to be very frank. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, it is, I've looked at the code on the source plugin and it's gray. It's really well documented and easy to put together. So I think this is really a neat project. It's done a lot of neat things with Cloudinary. You've gotten all your images optimized. But I know you're working on another project that is also really interesting. And I'd like to share that too. If you want to just describe it, this is a good educational thing. React now is probably the most used language. And so you created this application, React Play IO. And let me just go browse here. Can you talk about the motivation behind this and how it can help people who are trying to learn React? Yeah. So the React Play, as I said, is like an open source pl platform for learning, creating, and sharing React.js project. I'll just keep some background, like why I had started with this. It's like, I have a course on my YouTube channel and I'm teaching React probably very, very in depth. And I'm getting a lot of good feedback, like the way people are perceiving that. But one problem that I'm seeing is like, everybody wants to build and they want to build some application. They want to put into their resume and tell that, hey, this is something that I built. I've learned something from this one. But the problem here is like, unless somebody has spent a great amount of time with the technology, they cannot really tell what is the right way or what is the wrong way of building something. You can always build. But what is the right way of building something, taking care of performances, making sure you're not putting a lot of bugs into it and things like that. So whole idea of React Play was like, let's create a platform where people come with the idea of building something with React and we'll have someone experienced from the industry come look into their code, teach them like what is the right way of doing it through the code review process. And once kind of everything is done, the code review is done, project is ready. We actually merge that project. The project is available into React Play platform. And the person who has built this particular project also feel great about it. There is a learning curve. There is a learning thing is always associated with it. And the person feel, oh, I have learned something that brought me something different. Even if it's an experienced person coming and creating a project, the other contributors who is looking into that person's code will learn from that saying that, oh, this is how this person actually code. He or she is having probably 15 years of experience. And this is how differently he or she thinks. So this platform is about collaborate, learn, and share. If you go to browse, you get to see basically a bunch of projects. We are working on arranging them in a better way. But if you see a bunch of projects over there, you can go to a, any of the process. Fun quiz is one of the projects, right? Where you can actually do certain data quiz and things like that. Um, 
just click on that filter icon once. Yeah, I like that filter because you can now pick things according to. Yeah, just put a level of the intermediate and then filter on. Just apply the filter. Yeah, these are all React tags. Now we're looking at the intermediate project. Yeah, so this is intermediate pro project. So top row, the last one, if you can just pick up. Fun quiz. Yeah. yeah. You can click on that. So this is a quiz like somebody has filled. So you select a topic like computers or books and select me in. It's going to ask you a bunch of questions. You give answer. And then basically you learn things like, you know, you test your education on that, like, how much you know about a movie, how much you know about book and things like that, right? So it's a very cool project. Like it's a bit complex project. It's not a very usual project, right? You have to keep track of question, answer, the score and things like that. So when somebody is seeing this project, they are also feeling like, hey, how to create this project? Okay, let me try out. Okay, let me go to this GitHub and let me try to figure it out. Like how this person has created this project. We have a Discord server where people collaborate. So... They go to this particular creator. Hey, have you have done this project? Can you spend some half an hour to teach me how you have done this code? Okay, that person spent some time to teach this person. Okay, this how this is how they learn, right? So the yeah. whole idea is to build the community around React. Let people learn, share, grow. That's wonderful. I, I like great. having these quiz. Being an educator, I could feel this for something. I'm sure. Uh, that's cool. But then now you can look at the code on these too, right? Yes. So if we wanted... Yeah, there's a top right, there's a GitHub icon. You can just click on that. So this is the code that you use to create this website. So yes. So you have a bunch of projects in this React organization. Something deal with the backend, something just deal with the those small projects, and then something deal with the application itself. There is a create project workflow that we just built in. There's a different workflow where users can tell it, this is the project name, blah, blah, blah. So how it will work is like once you are running this on the development and click on the create, it will ask you, okay, what is the project name? You know, give me a covered image. And is it a beginner project or intermediate project? What's your GitHub ID? Boom, you say create. What it's going to do is basically it's going to create a project structure for you, a basic project structure. For oh. you. Okay. And that will be another thumbnail into that page, right, for you. And then you start developing in a local mode, saving your file. You will start seeing your changes coming up over there. Raise a pull request to review and get it in the production. Okay, that's neat. So if a person wants to join and add to this collection, they can do that. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I just want to share one more thing too. You have a website here and it gets links to all of your training, your blogs, your videos, yep. and it's a great source, I think. So would this be probably a good way to contact you too through? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So this is built on Next.js. I've kind of built in a way like it's mostly API dependent. So all the data, for example, there is a growth tab at the top right. So all the data that you get to see is like it's API fixed. So there is nothing that I will be modifying daily basis in my blog. So if I write one blog or one article on my blog, it will automatically come and appear over here. So I wanted to build my website in a way where we have to spend least amount of time in maintaining it after I build it. So everything has built based on API. So just collect all API calls to get the number. All API calls. But you know, you're not sitting there at night counting. Up no. <laughs> start you got off something. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Automator, data around, data driven. That's really cool. And then your videos, I think these are really cool. You have a number of topics there. So it's very useful. I think this is a great source all around. 
So Tapas, now that we've seen all of these different things you're doing, we've dived into the imaginary project, we understand its applicability. And frankly, it's interesting. One of the things that we do here at Cloudinary when we do these courses, we have this student ID app that Becky actually built. I could see where if we wanted to start adding some animated CSS to that, I could see where we could take some <laughs> of the learnings and weave it all together so it all can connect. But one thing that I would love to be able to ask you before we let you go, since I know you're a busy guy, but mm -hmm. it's where I'd love to know from a developer standpoint, we focus a lot on images. Obviously, we're cloudinary, so we care about that kind of stuff. But why do you feel like developers should start to embrace more when it comes to image delivery, optimization, some of the things mm -hmm. that you encounter with this project? Because I have talked to various types of developers, and it's not necessarily always apparent why they should care about this. For, from Tapas perspective, why should they care? Great question. I think that only reason that I will care is because I don't want to manage and maintain the in-house. So if you see the React Play project that you just seen, like each of the thumbnail is having an image, right? And each of the images right now in the source repository. And I don't have any control if somebody is checking in an image which is of six MBs or somebody is doing 100 MBs or two MBs or things like that. Bring your own image, have it in the cloud. Have it in a things like Cloudinary, where you can, it's not only the storage, right? You can do a lot of stuff, right? Once the image is coming up, it is having its formatting intact, in it's having its quality intact. You can do image processing and all this kind of thing you can do, right? So take advantage of that. And then you can actually bring the image to a React Play kind of project. In the next version of React Play, we are going to do that. The moment somebody uploads an image as a cover, we are going to push it through API to Cloudinary, get the image from there. That's what is going to happen, right? I don't know, I might go for a plan to you guys sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so we might be yeah. able to help you with that too. That like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, a bill of the whole way through. We're, we're happy to help. <laughs> yeah, anyway. You are using Next.js. One of our evangelists did write a Netlify plugin that will add F out of Q auto. So you can look for that. If you're... Sure, sure. So that's specifically my reason is like, why do we have to maintain and do something of myself when some, somebody is already doing it? Somebody has already broken that path. Let's use it. And very fortunately, Cloudinary is having a generous free plan, which worked out for me so far. And at, at least for my personal projects, it worked out really well. I have never overshoot the quota so that I have to think about something else. And I can always go to each of these images, whatever the edits I need to do, whatever the metadata I have to put, then I have to get them in a form that I'm looking for. This and all, I can't think of doing it by myself, very frankly, because I, I'm, I'm a coder. I want to focus on my business log. Let this thing be done by somebody who is best at it. So you guys are. So why not Cloudinary? And I love what you're saying there, because it's something that we hear a lot about why people use cloud-based services, microservices, is that you're focused, not, and this is getting almost bigger than the image video type mm -hmm. of conversation, but is to say that you were trying to focus on a microservice like Cloudinary that might be best of breed. And you're also doing that for other components of your projects, like right. finding the best st static site center generator. Well, you chose Gatsby for this one, you use Next for others. So it shows that it makes it where it's easy to weave things in and out when you have it in that type of way where you can focus on these specific APIs, these specific microservices. So I think you've touched on a lot of really good things there that hopefully developers are able to take away from your learnings and your expertise that you're actively sharing with the world. So excellent. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we've shown a lot of places where we can learn from you. Obviously, mm -hmm. React Play, wealth of information. 
that can be there to start any type of project. I was very impressed with the quiz as well, as Becky pointed out. I personally loved the I like to cheat button. And, but I also will say that I hope people continue to follow you because as you're putting up lots of stuff on YouTube, as we're saying, you have lots of active things that are in projects. So hopefully this is not the last time that we ever hear from you, Tapas, on the Cloud Dairy Dev Dance program. So feel free to come on back anytime and tell us about what's new, what's interesting with the way that you're working with images, videos, Cladinary, and all of your projects. And it's an exciting time for you. Sure, sure, definitely. And I'm looking forward to it. And I have a lot of project ideas in pipeline. So sure. <laughs> Wonderful. And I'm going to follow you myself because I, I like what you're doing. It, it works really well. Sure. Becky, you said it very well in our introduction where Tapas is an amazing developer educator and he's doing so many great things to help developers when they're starting their next projects. We've seen it with what he did with Imaginary, or we've seen it with what he's doing with reactplay.io. What an amazing person. So first of all, thanks to Tapas for reaching out and letting us be a part of this. And I think this was definitely time well spent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some technical things here that were really interesting. Seeing the NPM package that he pulled in to be able to convert our admin API into a GraphQL nodes and edges. That's great to know. There's probably going to be a lot of uses for that. And then his application, very playful. We have the little hangers on hooks and things. But he took the time to show us how those wave transitions were built. And transitions are great in CSS. You know, it's a really efficient way to get that kind of animation on your screen. So, well, that was really fun. It is. It's one of those areas where there's so many times where when me and you, as well as others on our team have done trainings, sometimes we show ways to do CSS workarounds as an example to say like, oh, you don't need to necessarily put in corner radius into your CSS. You can technically go ahead and round the edges with Cladinary. But what I love is that he was able to use a lot of great concepts of how to display images through Cladinary, but also do things that are definitely out of the toolbox that show that you can only do with CSS. Like, as we said, with the hanger and being able to show the back and forth movement. And I think just being able to catch somebody's eye to tickle their brain a little bit with the way that things appear on the screen. I think being able to know how to apply all of those awesome front end details, it was fantastic. So this is something where hopefully this inspires people to take a look at maybe the CSS of their own projects and find ways to get it to be a little bit more delightful. Yeah, well, I think as developers, we're all kind of building on each other's work. So I think it's fair to go in and grab these CSS and try it out on your own web page. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I, I feel like out of all the people that I've ever met in my life, the people that are totally like plagiarize what I use, yeah. are developers. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's hopefully like a, feels the same way. Yeah, it's kind of an honor to get plagiarized in some cases. So. It really is. No, I completely agree with that. I think the other thing that's standing out to me is just the use of Gatsby, because it's one of those times, as we said earlier, this was our first time working with a Gatsby project in our DevJams program, but it's an amazing static site generator. They have so much information that's available to them. We work with Gatsby in many different ways at Cloudinary, but is to say, if you haven't taken a time just to look at what that company is doing and how you could possibly use a project, it's worth delving in a little bit. 
and seeing if it works for you. Because I think there's a lot of cool momentum that's happening with the Gatsby space race now that is worth understanding better. Yeah, it's one of those frameworks built on React that's just super popular, makes it a lot easier to build some of the more complex applications, especially if you're looking for static pages, things like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the one last thing that I'll mention, I said it's kind of at the beginning, but what I love about some of the people that we've gone and interviewed, Colby on our team is one of those. Tapas is very similar in that way. Partial, who we've talked to in episodes, is similar that way, where they're not just building projects for themselves, they're building projects to help the developer community. And I love that way of thinking about themselves, but also being altruistic and saying, how can we benefit those that maybe are starting out, giving them templates, giving them guidance? In many ways, that's the same intention we have here at DevJams, is that we are only doing this to help foster more development, to help people get their feet wet when it comes to that first project or that next project. So the fact that he built something like reactplay.io to quickly give a template for building quizzes and calendars and timers, but doing that with React, yeah, it's not using Cloudinary. It's not necessarily benefiting us right now, but in the same sense, it's totally benefiting us because we like React developers. <laughs> we like developers. So it's definitely something where I hope that if you are thinking about how can my project benefit others, that's a great thing to be thinking about. And I love what Tapas did with that energy. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of that site. I might take some of that stuff for myself. <laughs> no, it's really nice. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, speaking of plagiarism, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things I like about DevGems. We are sharing a lot of techniques and technologies that other people can tap into. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that you've seen the th things that are sticking in me and Becky's brains about the key things that we heard in Tapas's conversation, of course, we want to let you know that we're going to be putting out more of these episodes. And if you want to know when the next one comes out, make sure that you're liking it, subscribing it, wherever you're listening or watching podcasts. That might be the Cloudinary Academy. That might be on Spotify. That might be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're all over the place. But wherever you are consuming content, hopefully we're there. And hopefully you can find out when the next one comes out because me and Becky and our guests, we put a lot of effort into trying to let you know all of these interesting details to help you with your next projects. So on behalf of all of us here at Cloudinary, thank you again for listening and watching this episode of DevJams, wherever you happen to be doing it at. And we hope to see you at the next one. So take care.